We're in 1 Samuel, if you want to find in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to begin reading with verses 1 through 16. 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning with verse 1 here in just a moment. But we appreciate you being a part of our worship service today. Appreciate you coming and participating as we have been welcomed once again to the Lord's table. I appreciate our outstanding 12 deacons who serve today as well. And uh, if we ever mess up in the first service and don't do it exactly right, I always think, well, we got a second shot at it. But today they are, did so well, I'm hoping that we'll do good the second service as well. Now I find myself worried, we can we do it twice in a row? But I uh, appreciate it. Look forward. You pray for that service as well. We're continuing our series today uh, as we look at uh, the life of David and uh, recognizing that uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He is still King. Bring on the giants because we trust in Him. This now is the Word of God, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1. Would you stand if you're able in the, as we read the Lord's Word today? As soon as he'd finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of all of Saul's servants. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. To me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house and while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. And you may be seated. So a couple of weeks ago, my wife was uh, out of town and I was uh, contemplating what I would eat that night, as we do when our wives are away, I guess, and suddenly... Song came on the radio and the lyrics were uh, something like this. But every now and then when I get paid, I have to spoil my baby with an upgrade. And I have to go to, but not exactly like that. We fancy like Applebee's on a date night. Got that Bourbon Street steak and an Oreo shake. Guess what I ate that night? Whataburger. 
No, not really. I called the Applebee's up and I ordered a steak. And after I got the bill, I thought I should have gone to Whataburger. But actually, she was going to be gone a couple of nights. So it was a big steak, cut it in half and uh, had it for a couple of nights. Actually, if I'd have listened to the song, I pressed, I should have taken my baby to Applebee's. But uh, after uh, four decades of marriage, we have uh, many times and will, I'm sure, again. But songs and lyrics at a certain time can have effect. At least they did for King Saul. David or focus on this series and about overcoming our giants. He's just killed Goliath, which led to a great Israelite victory over the Philistines. And Saul makes David a commander over the armies. They go to battle, and David is successful on more than one occasion. Everybody seems to be happy. Saul's son, Jonathan, has uh, become best friends with David. Uh, all the people love David. Saul's servants love David. The ladies, the wives, and the daughters, and the mothers are coming out as they're coming back from battle, and they're dancing, and they're singing. Everybody seems to be happy. Even Saul seems to be happy for a time, until he is on his way back, and he hears the chorus of what was probably a longer song that the ladies had made up about celebrating Israel and Saul and David. I don't think they meant to dig against King Saul or even to insult him. They were just kind of telling it like it was in the song. Maybe it was a chorus that repeated itself several times. And maybe Saul's hearing it for the first time. And maybe he had to stop and listen. Are they singing what I think they're singing? Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Things go south from that moment forward, for he is against David. So for the next decade, things will be sour between Saul and David. And now it's not only a psalm. The Spirit of God had left Saul, and the harmful spirit, or evil spirit, tormented Saul as part of God's judgment because of his unfaithfulness, because of Saul's unfaithfulness to God. He'd become unstable and paranoid. And when he heard these words, he became jealous of David. The green-eyed, jealous monster would overwhelm his world the last 10 years of his life and for the rest of his kingdom. If you ever want to hear how jealousy destroys a life, you just have to study the life of King Saul when that jealousy is left unchecked and unrepentant. Yes, the song was a catalyst to the next few chapters of what we'll learn from David until he becomes king. But it was only a symptom of the disease of sin and someone being away from God. Now, before you leave me here, or you hum the fancy-like Applebee song for the next 20 minutes, or you, now that I've mentioned two restaurants, you just think about what you're going to eat later for lunch. Before you do that, I want you to come back. For I want us together to be able to see how, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we might continue to be able to move forward, even when people are our biggest obstacle. This morning, we're going to learn lessons from four different people, including David. First, we're going to learn from King Saul, who became the father-in-law of David. We're going to learn from his wife, David's wife, Michael, and David's brother-in-law and best friend, Jonathan. We're not picking on the in-laws, you understand. It's just who the story is about in this chapter, in the next couple of chapters. So let's see what kind of lesson we might be able to learn from Saul, whom we're going to call the jealous, hateful, father-in-law. Not that all father-in-laws are jealous and hateful, you understand. I've recently become a father-in-law, so that's certainly not the case. He's not David's father-in-law in the text that we've read as of yet, but before this chapter ends, 
uh, he is going to be David's father-in-law. As we'll see, it became very dangerous for David to be in the presence of King Saul. Anyone who proved himself a warrior or a uh, uh, strong and faithful person would become drafted into Saul's army. So it was only natural that after David killed Goliath and initiated a great victory over the Philistines, he became a commander in Saul's army. But there's more, but there's more to it than just the fact that David was a good warrior. Saul's intention after hearing the psalm that praised David more than Saul was to continue to give David more dangerous assignments with odds against him that he would survive every battle. Saul was banking on the fact that David one day would not return back from the battle. But the problem for Saul was, it's what we read in verse 14 just a moment ago, David had great success because the Lord was with him. It's repeated in the very last chapter of this Larry, the last verse of this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 30, where it says, Then the commander of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. And the more success that David had on the battlefield, the more Saul was jealous, and the more afraid Saul was of David. For his new, he knew that his days were numbered as king, and he knew that how much the people loved David. Even though David was a great warrior, he was also a great musician. He would still play for Saul whenever he was having one of his spells. From time to time, the tormenting spirit would be worse than usual. You can maybe imagine the servants of Saul maybe going from day to day about Saul and his many moods. Maybe they're asking, how is he today? Well, it's not a good day. He's in a bad way. Well, go get David and get him to play for him. And one day David was playing for him and Saul happened to have a spear in his hand and he hurled his spear at David. David eluded him twice. I guess David wasn't hanging around for a third time. Actually, I probably wouldn't hung around for the second time. But verse 9 tells us that Saul eyed David from that day forward. For the very day that he first heard the song about David, that phrase that he eyed David from that day forward meant that he looked for ways to bring David down, if not to ruin his reputation, then to put an end to his life. And for the next few chapters and as a part of this series, we'll continue to see the contrast and the comparisons of David and King Saul until the end of King's life, the end of his kingdom, and until the beginning of David's great reign as the king of God's people. So here's a lesson that we can learn, and it's there in your notes if you're following along. It takes great faith to experience opposition and still maintain a growing relationship with Jesus and to serve Him. It is a lesson for each one of us who are followers of Jesus. David remained devoted to the Lord in spite of the opposition. Saul did the equivalent of putting a contract on David's head, instructed his servants to kill on sight. Now, Jonathan, who loved David like a brother, went to David and told David that he needed to stay out of sight until he could talk to his father. And he came in and he talked to the king about David and reasoned with him that David meant him no harm, that he was innocent. He had done nothing but help him to be able to help uh, Israel and the kingdom. And the Bible says at that time that King Saul listened to his son, made an oath to God that he would not put David to death. Now at this point, and what you know about 
King Saul, do you put much stock into an oath or a promise from the king? Probably not. David probably would not have, but he did believe in Jonathan. And he listened to Jonathan, and Jonathan brought David back into king's presence. David again fought for the king and for Israel again. He had great success again. They praised David again. David played music for the king again. Guess what happened? While David was playing music, the king had a spear in his hand and he hurled it at David and David eluded the spear for the third time. I'm counting three times. David would no longer be in the king's service or in the king's presence ever again. Let's ask the question, how do you respond to those who are unkind or those who mistreat you? Now, for many of us, we would fight fire with fire. You be mean to me and I'm going to be mean right back to you. But we remember the words of Jesus in the New Testament when he told us to love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And the reason if you're writing in the notes, I've got those action words because we can talk about love and we can say how we're going to love, but until we put that in practice, it's not really doing much good or not showing love. We most often, though, take these verses of Jesus, we most often apply those maybe to people that we're not around all that often. And we get opportunity to those kinds of people that maybe that uh, would be considered not our friend, well, then maybe we'll practice some of those. But if there's a place that it really should be applied, it would be applied to those who are closest to us, those who are our family, even if they have mistreated us, those who we work with, those who are classmates and other people perhaps that are close to it. David, as we'll see in coming weeks, continues shows great respect to King Saul. But like David, perhaps, when abuse is being taking place, doing good, blessing, praying, and even forgiving does not mean always that you keep standing in the line of fire. But there's another lesson here concerning King Saul. And that's this. Don't be like Saul. Don't let your anger lead to sin. Well, my goodness, you would never thrust a spear at somebody, certain somebody's playing music for you. No, but Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. The truth is that we're still dealing with a sinful nature. We'll, we'll always have a little bit of Saul or a tendency to be jealous in our heart. And jealousy is a feeling. And at times we all may have certain feelings. But what becomes spiritually unhealthy and sometimes physically unhealthy is when we allow those feelings to fester. We need to turn our jealousy over to Jesus. So let me tell you this, that if you can identify with King Saul at all, God's not asking you to change your own heart. No, God's asking you to pursue Jesus and allow Him to change your heart. In King Saul's case, he had turned away from God. He was not willing to repent. And God had, uh, the Spirit of God had left him. Unchecked jealousy needs to be repented and allow the Lord then to change the heart. There's more lessons we're going to learn from King Saul. But let's see what lesson we might be able to learn from the one who's going to become David's wife. Michael... We're going to call her the scheming wife. Now, not to under, misunderstand, not every wife is scheming, but only in this case, perhaps Michael was. Somewhere in between David's first falling out with King Saul and his coming back, Saul tried to make good on his promise of giving that oldest daughter to the one who killed the giant Goliath. Now, in this case, Saul was not just making good on a promise. 
he had an ulterior motive. The Bible tells us as son-in-law, he was going to keep sending him to do battle again and again with the Philistines, hoping that the odds were that David would not, would not always come back from battle. Now Saul had not quite grasped yet the idea that the Lord was with him and would continue to give success. David humbly rejected the idea. Isn't it remarkable as they continue to sing songs about David and esteem him? David recognized that it need not need to be about him, but it needed to be about his God. It needed to be about all that the Lord did. But David rejected the idea of becoming the son-in-law of the king. And, uh, uh, and when it came time for the marriage, Saul gave his oldest daughter to another. King Saul had another daughter by the name of Michael who loved David. So the king had another idea. He again asked David to marry Michael for she loved him. David still expressed humility and unworthiness. So the king asked for a dowry of sorts to make himself worthy. Go and kill 100 Philistines and bring to Saul the evidence. Now, this pleased David Perhaps because then perhaps he could feel a little bit more worthy of becoming the king's son-in-law of what was taking place. Now, keep in mind that the Philistines were enemies of God's people, a barbaric pagan people for whom God was bringing judgment. They were already to be destroyed before this time by the Israelites, but the Israelites had not destroyed them and not followed all that God had told them to do. And understand, yes, it's hard for us to understand this kind of action when it comes to our culture today. But sometimes we're just to tell the story and let it speak for itself and make the, make the application about our enemies. Our enemies not being flesh and blood, but instead sin and death and that which would separate us from God for eternity. You may know this story. David's asked to kill a hundred Philistines in order to be able to marry Michael. David and his men instead kill 200 Philistines. And they were married. And again, the king asked for this, hoping that he would not survive. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 28 and 29 says this, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Note again what unrepentant jealousy will do. Saul lived in fear. You would think that the writer of this story would say that David lived in fear because Saul was always trying to kill David. But in this case, and particularly for those who continued to harbor hate and jealousy and unforgiveness in their heart, they're the ones who live in fear. It's the old adage of drinking poison but hoping that the one that you hate will die. You're only hurting yourself. After this, when Saul put the original contract out on David... One night he sent his men to watch the house of the newlyweds and wait until morning and kill David. He told the servants as he came out in the morning. Well, Michael found out and he and she warned David and uh, she helped David escape by lowering him out of a window in the night and he escaped. Now, Michael was a schemer. She pulled a Ferris Bueller. Some of you may know what I mean by pulling a Ferris Bueller. She took an idol that she had in the house and she put goat's hair on it and put it in the bed. So when the servant saw that David did not come out and asked where he was, she said, he is sick in the bed. Come and take a look and don't bother him. And they went back and told the king. 
And the king said, y'all aren't very bright, are you? I don't care if he's sick. You're supposed to kill him anyway. What difference does it make? Go and get David, bring him in his bed if you have to, and bring him to me and I'll do it. Now that's a little bit of a paraphrase, but not much. It's found in chapter 19. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but I love to tell Bible stories. I may not tell them very well, but I sure love to tell them. But they go back to the house to discover it's a household idol and some goat's hair under a blanket. Well, let's ask the first question. What was she doing with an idol in the house? Well, it probably was not all that uncommon for Israelites. Israelites particularly who are not totally committed to God, but continue maybe to worship God at the same time to have idols and to worship other gods. But it should have been uncommon. Now, I'm going to suspect here that she's the one that brought it into the house and not David. We might ask, what would God's people in the Old Testament be doing with idols? But it was not that uncommon. It is no more uncommon today than those who are professing followers of Jesus who are still after power and prestige and popularity and pursuing worldly goods or other idols of today while still proclaiming Jesus. We're going to find out in this episode another story of David when David brings the ark to Jerusalem. Michael did not have the same devotion to the Lord as David did. And when King Saul finds out what Michael has done, he asked her, why have you deceived your own father? Let David, the enemy, escape. She said, in essence, you know what a brute he is. He told me to do this. He was going to kill me if I didn't do it. Well, she threw David under the bus, lied to her father that David had threatened her. Uh, so much for unconditional love. Now, where did she learn to scheme? And where did she learn to misrepresent the truth so well? Well, I think she learned it from dear old dad. It takes great faith to experience lack of devotion for others, and still maintain a growing relationship with Jesus and to serve Him. It takes great faith to experience lack of devotion from others and still maintain a growing relationship with Jesus and to serve Him. Let's make sure that we understand that the Bible tells it like it happened. And at times we'll catch even good people telling lies and misrepresenting the truth. But the Lord and the Bible never give a good reason for not telling the truth always but instead to speak the truth in love always and then just to trust God. Would we sometimes lie or misrepresent the truth in order to protect someone or maybe even protect us? Well, maybe we would, but it doesn't make it right. So let's ask this question. How do you respond when others do not share your commitment to Jesus? Well, with praise and prayer for God's help. That's how you respond. Now, David is the songwriter. And while this event is taking place and going on in his house, this very event that we read about as they came into the house and David was lowered out through the window, David's writing a song. He writes a song about this on that night. And, uh, and he's seeking the Lord. His wife is scheming. He's praying. His wife is scheming. He's writing a song to God. And sometime during the night, he wrote a song, which we call a psalm. From Psalm 59, verses 1 through 4, it says this. First part of that psalm says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lay in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgressions of sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. 
Then later in that very psalm, David wrote or he sang from Psalm 59 and verse 16, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Wow, imagine not only are we told the story that takes place thousands of years ago in the Old Testament about David, but we know what David was thinking and we know what he was praying. What a great example. When people are your biggest obstacle, what are we to do? We're, we're to give praise for Jesus and we're to ask for the Lord's help. We're also going to learn a lesson from Jonathan. We'll call Jonathan the trusted friend and brother-in-law. No greater picture in the Old Testament, perhaps, of friendship than Jonathan and David. They both have devotion to the Lord and to one another. We remember uh, in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24 where it says, But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then John chapter 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. Jonathan was that kind of a friend to David. We read a moment ago in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 3 to where it says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. They were soulmates. Nothing illicit to read into this. They were best friends for life. They made a covenant with one another. Instigated by Jonathan, a formal covenant, which this appears to be, would involve the sacrifice of an animal. They would sacrifice the animal, they would split it in two, and they would walk actually between the parts of the animals that would be laying there. Maybe they wouldn't say it out loud, but as if to say, may we become dead like this animal if we fail to keep our promise or our covenant with one another. First Samuel chapter 18 and verse 4, we also read, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan the son of Saul was next in line for the throne, but David had already been anointed as the next king of Israel. And in Jonathan, accepting of this, not envious like his father, he gave him his royal robe and his armor and his sword, his bow and his belt. How does such a man like Saul have a son like Jonathan? Saul, whom is filled with rage and jealousy and later willing to kill his own son because he befriended David, how could Jonathan be so good and godly? Maybe he did learn lessons from his dad. Not the kind of person to be. Hey, hey, does this mean there's hope for our children who have imperfect parents like us? Yes, and there's hope for all of those who are our imperfect children of this world. And the hope is found in Jesus. Because think about it. Does this covenant Jonathan made with David and the taking off of his royal robes does it remind you of anything or anybody? Jesus laid aside his royal robes. He left the throne room of heaven to make a sacrifice and a covenant with you and me. He promised that all who come to him in repentance and faith are saved by his grace. And everyone here is either partakers of that grace and of that covenant, that promise made through Jesus, or you have the opportunity to do so today. Jesus has made the promise. Jesus has made the sacrifice. We've celebrated the sacrifice today by the partaking of the cup and the bread. And David, as David did with Jonathan, accept this gift if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The New Testament calls and says, all those who place their faith in Jesus become royal priests and heirs of God's kingdom. Let's not miss the lesson on friendship. Would, would that we might have friends with similar devotion. That's why church and small groups and fellowship is so important. 
Oh, I often tell high school seniors before they go off to college, I say, pray and look for that friend that the Lord has for you. There's a friend there that the Lord has for you. Or maybe you need to be that friend, a friend who will go to church with you. Or a friend who will have the same kind of faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. Look for that friend or be that friend. One, because it's hard to go to church by yourself. Also because you need someone to continue to move forward, continue to be devoted to Jesus. It's hard to do it by yourself. Oh, but it's not just for high school graduates and college students. But it's needed for all. When David began to be on the run from Saul, who did he go to? 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 1 says this, Then David fled from Naoth to Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? At that moment, Jonathan did not know his father was out to kill David, so he went back to the palace and to find out. And because they could not trust anyone else, they came up with kind of a secret code, a signal to let David know if the coast was clear, if he needed to flee. When Jonathan discovered his father, the king was out to kill David, he spoke up for David, and that's when Saul cursed at him, and he threw a spear in order to kill his son, Jonathan. He threw a spear in order to kill his son, Jonathan. I'm telling you, don't let your jealousy or your unforgiveness or your hatred run wild. Jonathan returns to the field. He shoots an arrow and he sends a servant out to retrieve the arrow. If the arrow went beyond the servant, the coast was not clear and David needed to flee. And so he shot the arrow and it went beyond the servant. And 1 Samuel chapter 20 verses 38 and 39 says this, And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing, only Jonathan and David knew the matter. He yells it. You need to go further. You need to go now and you need to hurry to the boy, but he really meant it for Jonathan. Excuse me, for David. David knew that he could trust Jonathan. Here's one of the lessons also in your notes. In the good and the difficult, go to the one who made a covenant. In the good and the difficult times, go to the one who's made a covenant with you. Someone you can trust. Who is that person for you? We need to write these words down. J-E-S-U-S. You may have thought of someone else, and I thought of people that I trust as well, but truly there's no one who can keep the covenant and the promise perfectly than Jesus. The Lord can use some other people as well, but you need to trust Jesus. Now before we leave Jonathan, let's think of what Jonathan gave up because of his devotion to the Lord and to David. He gave up his desire to be the next king. He was determined to do what was right, even though that meant going against his dad, the king. Often tell young men who are about to be married, I'll tell them some point if we're doing that premarital counseling, I'll say, you might be the one who can keep your wife and your mother and your mother-in-law happy all the time. But if you do, you would be the very first. And I let them know it's a new beginning, a new commitment, and the person that you need to be most committed to on this earth is to your bride. Now, others might not agree. You can do that in a way which still honors parents, and we certainly know it's the same for the spouse as well. But ultimately, you need to do what you know pleases the Lord, even if no one is happy about it. The statement is true for every person 
no matter what. That's how you serve your spouse. That's how you serve your children and your family and others. So decide today that pleasing Jesus is more important than pleasing self and others. Also, we want to learn a lesson from David, the beloved. We're going to call him the beloved, soon to be king. David was anointed to be the next king of Israel, but it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. Consider David. For whom God had placed the hope of Israel in him. David would conquer Israel's enemies. David would unite the kingdom. David would expand the kingdom closer to what God had intended as far as the promised land to be. He'd write psalms for the worship of God that would be used for centuries if not millenniums. And even create instruments to be used in worship. God's covenant with David would keep the light burning even in the dark days of exile. And most important for David and for us, from him, the fulfillment of God's covenant would be born in Bethlehem, the one who is the king of kings and the savior of the world, the hope of this century and for all time. Is it any wonder that Satan was at work to destroy through King Saul and try to put an end to his kingdom and to Jesus' kingdom before it began? Well, God has a purpose and a plan for you and I. Well, we're not David. We'll likely never be king or president, probably not even a senator or a congressman. But something more important, we are the mouthpiece in the hands of the feet of Jesus. Satan does not want you to succeed. He, Satan, will do everything in his power to keep you from participating in God's plan. And that's for everyone that is watching today and everyone that is here today. For you are the children of the living God or you are one of the ones whom God wants to be in his family. Don't let him succeed. You know that, uh, you know that Applebee song that I mentioned in the beginning? That uh, same fellow uh, from Mobile, Alabama, now living in Nashville, he writes a ballad about his pastor who becomes his best friend. I just thought it would be good to uh, light of David and Jonathan and talking about him. Hear some of the lyrics. It's a ballad. I'm not singing, but I'll tell you. I met Craig at a church called Redeeming Grace. It's like he understood my I don't want to be here face. I felt out of place and I smelled like beer, but he just shook my hand and said, I'm glad you're here. He says, we'll all be judged, but he was never judgmental. Even though my songs don't belong in no hymnal, He'd quote my lyrics, slap me on the back, said, man, you've got a gift. How do you write like that? Yeah, I know he sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? I still ain't figured out church yet, but Craig, I get. Now, he can't walk on water, turn the Napa Valley red, but he just might be tight with the man that did. Now, he's not the light of the world, but I wish that mine was bright as his. Yeah, he just might be tight with the man that is. When you lose a record deal, yeah, all the perks fade fast. Dealership said we're going to need that minivan back. So we're down to one car and broke as I felt. My wife and six kids only had five seatbelts. I needed help but couldn't admit I was struggling. I said, Craig, it's all good, but he knew that it all wasn't. A hey man, I'm praying for you would have been sufficient, but I took roadside assistance to a whole other level to sacrificial heights. Showed up at the ballpark after my son's game one night in two cars with his wife, Laura, watching from the other. I said, what in the world are y'all doing here, brother? He just laughed inside that old Chrysler town and country van with the keys and a title and a pen in his hand. He said, man, all you got to do is sign in the chairs. I said, no, nah, no way. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. He said, please do. 
Somebody did this for me once, just let me do this for you. We argued about it for a little while, then I teared up, and Craig smiled. My pride was way too ashamed to be adequately grateful at the moment, but I signed the dotted line and I drove the kids home. And when the cop pulled up beside us at the light, they didn't have to duck because thanks to Craig, they were all buckled up. Yeah, I know he sounds cool, right? Not your typical kid from Sunday school, right? Still ain't figured out church yet. But Craig, I get. Not everybody figures out church. Not everybody understands religion. Hey, I don't understand religion. But I do understand about a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ and that those of us who are followers of Jesus are to be his mouthpiece and his hands and his feet. You are to represent Jesus to everyone and at all times. Don't allow anything or anyone keep you from your mission. Will you keep moving forward? Regardless of the obstacle, regardless if the obstacle is a person, will you continue to walk with Jesus and follow Him? Will you take that first step if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord and accept Him and ask Jesus to be your Savior today? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we continue to come to You and recognize all the good gifts that You've given us. We thank you for the greatest gift of all, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again. We thank you for the new life that we can have in Jesus. Help us to continue to move forward. May no obstacle keep us from the mission that you have for our church or for each one of us individually. We pray, Father, if there's someone here that does not know Jesus, someone listening today that needs to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord, may today be the day of their salvation, knowing even now they can ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Ask Christ to be Savior and Lord. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.